Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let me do that again. Jeff did this this morning. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of agree. We were talking this morning, and it's, it's you know, a good thing to say that. It is a good morning. Yesterday was a good day for me. My son got married. So uh, exciting stuff. But uh, just wanted to welcome everybody. Welcome everybody online. Hi, how are you? And uh, we just welcome you for uh, being here for worship today and uh, on another lovely day. So let's get started. You 
there's been a lot of stuff going on in everyone's life. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking God's been putting on my heart this week, you know, and past couple weeks I've been running around just doing different things and was thinking about a lot of different things. But I was thinking about this verse and I looked it up. It's in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, I, and I wrote a couple notes down here. You know, all of our lives can be, can be called a journey. It could take years. It could take months. It could take a lifetime. We don't know God's plan but we have the choice of where our journey goes. During this journey, our paths may cross over others, and for a time, we feel that we have found our destination. Now, whether or not we have made what we consider the right choices, our journey and path on this trip can change, and we need to stay on course for what is good for you and God and no other. You know, in, in this time of uncertainty, things that are going on in everyone's life, we all have different journeys. We all have different paths that we choose to walk down on this journey that we have in our life. Everyone is different. And I just, you know, I stress this and, you know, the songs that we sing today, you know, we just sang about beautiful things. God, God doesn't make, you know, crap. He just does not do that. He makes beautiful things. And uh, he has a purpose, you know, in your life for you. And uh, you may not understand where this journey will take you. You may not understand what path you're going to take today or tomorrow. And right now, I'm just a keystone in somebody's path of why we stopped and, you know, why I had to, to, to say this today. So I just ask as we go on and worship that you, whether you continue to sing, whether you continue to sit and just contemplate, whether you sit and just, you know, talk with God in your own way about your journey as you go on throughout worship the rest of the day. And also the rest of your day, the rest of your life, think about that journey and that path that you're going to choose to continue that trip.
first verse together. I want to be close, close to your side.
be on his journey with me. Amen. <laughs> And good morning, everyone. Who is the great I am? God is, isn't he? He is the great I am. You know, can you imagine when God told Moses that? Hey, what's your name, God? Oh, I am. Come on, God, what's your name? I already told you, I am. Come on, God, my name's Moses. What's your name? I told you, I am. It'd be kind of hard to figure out, wouldn't it? Think about that. For if you were, if you were Moses, first of all, the burning bush is bad enough, all right? And then the bush starts talking to you. And then the bush says, you're going to go out and you are going to lead God's nation out of Egypt. And then you ask for his name and he just says, oh, I am. Kind of anticlimactic, right? What do you think? Yeah, just a little bit. But it is because he is that we what? We are. Isn't that great? So because of the great I am, I am. Can everybody say I am? I am. And we are. The ushers are going to come and take our offering, and I'm just going to thank God that he is and we are. God, we thank you so much. Even though it's hard for us to understand what it means that you are the great I am, you try to explain it to us because you are the God who has been, is now, and always will be. And you're the God who knows all. And because of who you are, you've given us life. So that instead of us looking at ourselves and sometimes feeling like we're dead, feeling like we're nobodies, if we can look at you and see our reflection in you, just as you see your reflection in us, then we can open up our eyes wide. And we can say, even when we don't feel like it, I am. Because you are the I am. And we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, a few announcements here for us. Uh, during June, July, and August, our Change for Change uh, money that was coming in, went to or is designated for the Resurre Resurrection Church in Bulgaria. Those uh, gifts are going to be sent to Bulgaria via a wire transfer. And if you have an interest in being able to send some more money to them, if you would please make sure that that monetary gift gets to the church office by Monday, October the 11th. So that would be a week from tomorrow. Is that right? All right, so you have a week to do that. This uh, next couple of months, Change for Change uh, bucket is going to be used to support families in need in our religious community and beyond for Christmas. So feel free as you're leaving each Sunday to drop your 
change or uh, dollar bills or fifties or hundreds, you know, whatever you got in your pocket, you know, whatever you got lying around, just drop it in there and we'll be sure that it gets to the right place. Deadline to purchase ham and cheese sandwiches. How many of you have already purchased your ham and cheese sandwiches? Raise your hands. I purchased mine. All right, if your hand is not up, then when you leave here, take your wallet out, go to the ham and cheese table, and buy the ham and cheese sandwiches. If you've not had a ham and cheese sandwich on a pretzel roll, you have missed something. You have missed something. I always look forward to those, so be sure to do that. Hosanna at the movies. Does that start today, Tony? It might. Oh, okay. I think it's a start today, yeah. And the reason that the chairs are facing this way is uh, courtesy of uh, Chris Dye. Let's thank Chris Dye for putting the chairs in. And uh, so they're facing this way so that should you decide to see the movie next Friday before next Sunday, you can come and watch it and you don't have to turn your head the whole time looking at that screen. So Chris was very, extremely thoughtful. He's always thoughtful. <laughs> Chris is one of my best friends. If I had time, I would tell you a funny story that we have, but I don't have the time. So if you, if you, don't, if you don't want to know about it, ask Chris. He'll tell you that funny, funny story. It was absolutely wonderful. I'm laughing thinking about it right now. Uh, the night that that happened, I went to bed laughing. That's all I can tell you. Okay. So uh, on Fridays at 6.30, the adults will meet for a movie here. And if you have kids and want to bring them, that they will have a movie someplace else. There will be popcorn here. And everybody will have an absolutely wonderful, wonderful time. Now, Deb, have I finished? Next Friday, the teaser. Okay, I didn't read the teaser here. So let's read this. Next Friday, uh, beginning, blah, blah, blah. And Jonathan, I don't see any clear teaser about the message. There's no teaser. No, so I'll let Tony give the teaser. I'll do it. Tony, come and tease us. Oh, you do that every Sunday. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Next Friday night, this Friday night, uh, we're going to watch a movie about an orphan boy who lives secretly in a Paris train station in the 1930s. Okay, and then he meets a new friend, and uh, together they help to restore an old robot, and they help to restore an old man. It's really kind of awesome. Now, this week, this movie, which I'm going to introduce in just a moment, I think most people on Earth and a few space aliens have seen. So we, we did not have a whole lot of people Friday night out to watch this movie, because most of you have seen it, if you figured out what it was. But this movie that I'm doing next week, will um, most people have not seen. So... Uh, it would be best if you go and see the movie, and um, some of you are, yeah, are laughing at that, and, uh, or if you go to the premiere and watch what it is. And, uh, I had a cousin who had a Yugo. Um, anyway, a couple other quick things here. Uh, we mentioned Bulgaria. Several, about a month ago, I mentioned that we were collecting some used laptops to send there, and it was a bit of a hurry or rush because the guy who was, there was somebody who was going. Well, COVID restrictions 
kept him from going. So that opportunity is still available. So if anybody has some good quality, and we, we're looking for two, that's all, but decent quality used laptops that they can use in their missionary training center in Bulgaria, we'll send them over as soon as we can do that. One more announcement from me. Today was to be the start of a new class, adult class, questions and queries. And God bless you, Dave Whitmer, for signing up for that. <laughs> He's the only one that did. <laughs> now, I'm sure there are some of you here that were planning to join us. But, you know, uh, we, we try to make these things most useful to you. So when I look at that, I'm like, this probably isn't where people are feeling their, their needs, needs. They have needs to be scratched. So uh, I dumped it. We're going to do something different, but we're going to wait till next week to start it. We're going to do a course. A course. You can tell I'm a professor. We're going to do a class beginning next week for a few weeks that I'm calling Future Tense. And it's about... Camping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do it that way. T-E-N-T-S. Anyway, there's a pun there about, you know, the verb tense, but it's also about being tense, our anxieties and our hopes about the future, how the Bible looks at the, at the, at the future, how Christians have looked at the future uh, of the world and the future of myself. So that we're going we're gonna to try that one and see if that gets a little more, uh, a little more attention. So uh, um, I don't know, Jeff, do I tell them to sign up online? I didn't even, I'm springing this on you too. Um, uh, Sign-ups will be a little later this afternoon. Oh, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I made this decision late last night. Just trying to, trying to be more as useful as possible to you all. Okay, enough announcements. This is it at the movies. We're doing it a little bit differently this time. The reason we showed the movie on Friday is that I'm not showing clips this morning, but I will tell a story and I'll show some pictures, and there's something really, really good in this. Let's begin with four words that everybody in this room knows. I have a dream. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Martin Luther King, of course, most famous American speech of the 20th century. Why is it so famous? Why did so many people, black and white, resonate with that speech in August 28, 1963? And my theory is, I talk with my students about this, that the dream he enunciated that day was one that many of his listeners already shared, that he's speaking of their own hopes. Or maybe it's even one that some of them in that moment said, I like that dream. I'm going to choose to dream along with you that. And millions of others have since. So my question for you this morning is, do you have a dream? Do you remember the dreams that you had when you were young? Because that's when we tend to dream the most, right? Or maybe you're still young and your dreams are still vibrant and hopeful. Right, Gordon? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you're older and you've kept your dreams alive. Maybe you've even fulfilled a few of them. You say, thank God, I guess I have a dream and I'm living my dream. Yay for you. Most people, though, especially by the time they get to midlife, have been disappointed in their dreaming. They've had to come to terms of what the poet Langston Hughes called dreams deferred. Or maybe even dreams denied. What if what we want, what if we want, what if what we want desperately is simply impossible? Some of us know the anguish of that. I bet you a lot of us do. Some of us know what it's like to hope against hope, even when there's little earthly chance that what we desire most will actually happen. And I bet you all of us know what it's like to give up a dream. 
to watch it shatter at our feet or float away like a wisp of smoke. Ray Kinsella knows those feelings. He's the main character in the movie that today's message is inspired by, which is da, 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 Field of Dreams. How many of you have seen Field of Dreams before? Yeah, like I thought. Somebody's called it uh, the 1980s version of It's a Wonderful Life. And they're probably not, they're probably not wrong. When the movie opens, Ray is in some despair. It seems that most of what he had wanted from life is not going to happen. He's only 36, which to me seems young anymore, but, but his dreams are dying fast, or, or they're already dead. Yes, he has a family he loves. He has his fiery wife, Annie, and he has an inquisitive young daughter, Karen. But Ray was inspired when he was young to make his life count for something, to do something meaningful for the world, perhaps, perhaps even something noticeable that people would remember. And at age 36, he realizes he hasn't and is unlikely to. He's now a farmer in Iowa. Thus my, thus my get up this morning. This is the closest I come to be an Iowa farmer. <laughs> and it's really hot. <laughs> He's a farmer in Iowa, but he doesn't know how to farm. Not really. And the other farmers in town don't accept him as one of them. The, one of them. Not really. And his farm isn't doing very well. Not really. And he's not content doing it anyway. Not really. And we all know the experience of not really, don't we? Saying we're doing okay, but not really. Trying to keep commitments, but not really. Trying to be a good Christian, but not really, if we're honest. Not all the time. Not when we're distracted by other dreams. Not when there's something else that we want more than what's in front of us. It might be Jesus himself. What Ray wants more is to have a second chance with his dad. John Kinsella was a one-time baseball player who taught his son a love for the game. Not just for its mechanics and its strategy, but also its history, its heroes. And perhaps the two of them could have bonded over the game. But teenage rebellion and paternal stubbornness were stronger than that one shared interest. It's happened in a million families. Tempers flared, words were said, car doors slammed. And then with a finality that ends... All relationships on earth. John died without a chance to patch things up, without Ray being able to clear the air with his dad. For Ray, this was now not a, just a dream deferred, but a dream dead and buried, literally dead and buried. There was no hope now. He would never be able to make things right with his father. And somehow for Ray, the dead dream about his father was tangled up in the story of his father's baseball hero. They got kind of connected in his mind. In fact, Ray, and this is partly because Ray's last words to his dad were about that man, the hero. As he stormed out of the house for the last time, he yelled that he could not respect a man whose hero was a criminal. And now at age 36, with his father dead and gone, he regrets those words bitterly. 
Not only for the pain that they inflicted on his dad, not only for the rift that they caused in the relationship, but also because Ray had since come to believe that his dad's hero was not a criminal after all. Who among us has not dismissed or denigrated or disrespected the heroes of another? How many of us parents have picked on the heroes of our kids? You like that person? How many of us kids have disrespected the heroes of our parents? How many of us have done that to other people's political heroes or musical heroes or, or coaches or friends or whatever it is? And then we realize in that moment that in the dismissal of the third party, of the dismissal of the hero, that we inadvertently are pushing away the very one we want to remain close to. Ray had done that. And part of his anguish now was that his dad's hero had become Ray's hero too. And since he couldn't talk to his dad about it, he talked to his daughter excitedly. The next generation, Karen, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about my hero. So who was this hero? Well, if you watch the movie, you know. But let me answer that by telling a story. One day, Joe Jackson's feet hurt. His new cleats hadn't been broken in yet. He's a baseball player, so when he got up to bat, he simply took them off. And he got a solid hit and was nearly a third base before a fan noticed that he was running barefoot and yelled from the stands, you shoeless son of a gun. My guess is that he didn't say the word gun, but that's the way the story comes down to us. <laughs> and in those days, when nicknames, those days, early 20th century, when nicknames were almost required to play the game, Shoeless Joe stuck to him. He actually wore shoes most of the time. I actually looked. I went and looked at photographs of Shoeless Joe Jackson. Every single one of them he had shoes on. <laughs> but it didn't matter what was on his feet. He was a phenomenon, one of the best that ever played. It's been over a century since his last legal game, but he still has the third highest career batting average in the majors. He was a splendid fielder. He was a marvel to watch, they say. There's no video from those days. They didn't have that in those days. But he was also a leader. He was a motivator, a man who made magic happen, not just by himself, but with the people he played with. He led the Chicago White Sox all the way to the World Series in 1919. But then money interfered, as money often does. In those days, players weren't paid million-dollar salaries. They had to work in the off-season just to feed themselves. So when a gambling interest offered eight players of the Chicago White Sox more money to lose the series on purpose than they could possibly hope to make by winning it, they took the money. Seven of them played miserably that year against the Cincinnati Reds. The eighth player, though, to the dismay of the gamblers, had a fabulous season. 375 batting average, 12 base hit. And that player was Shoeless Joe Jackson. Well, the eight were found out. And there was a day when people were trying to clean up baseball. And so there were hearings held and all this stuff about corruption. And Shoeless Joe admitted, yeah, I took the money. He said, but I didn't throw anything. I was swindling the swindlers. They were paying me. They weren't getting anything for their money. But he was banned from baseball anyway, along with the others. He was banned from the only thing he knew how to do. The only thing that mattered to him. The only thing he dreamed about. So let me ask you again. Have you ever been denied a dream by someone else? 
Someone has come along and said it's your fault. You blew your chance. You screwed things up. You're not good enough to do what you want to do. You're not good enough to even do what you feel like you had to do. Well, that's Shoeless Joe Jackson for the rest of his life. And that's me. Been there, done that. Some of you walk with me through those experiences. And that's probably you somewhere along the way. Maybe some of you are in that now. Denied a dream by someone else. Been told you're not good enough. Maybe you believe it. That's Ray Kinsella as well, who felt like he had blown it with his father. Which again is why Ray identified so strongly with the hapless Shoeless Joe. Well, if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. One day he's standing in his cornfield, probably wondering again why he's an Iowa farmer. Well, that was never part of his dreams. When he hears something amid the wind and the rustling stalks of corn. If you build it, he will come. He dismissed it at first. What is that sound? But it came back repeatedly, more insistently. If you build it, he will come. <laughs> Rather than dramatic effect, everybody's like, boy, Chester went that really well. <laughs> yes, thank you. Later, Ray has a vision. He sees a ballpark right where the corn is. It's supposed to be. And Shoeless Joe Jackson is standing in the middle of it. Now, this is where we recommend him to a therapist, right? <laughs> Except that this is a movie. And movies have magic. And sometimes things are possible that should not be possible. And let's not be too dismissive. Have you ever heard a voice telling you to do something? I have. No, not Jeff. Bert. Well, Jeff tells me to do things sometimes, so maybe that's it. <laughs> and it's not been a whisper in a cornfield, but there has been a knowing in my heart or even my head. And, and I've even called it a voice at times because it seems so real and so definitive. I've had several. There's like the first one was when I was 10 years old, sitting in church, watching my pastor preach. And I heard it. Someday you will do that. It wasn't audible like Ray's, but it was real. It was a, I believed it. I followed it. I've been doing that for going on 37 years now. Am I mentally ill for all that? Maybe. <laughs> Separate from that. Are you? For all the nudges that you get? Think about it. How many times have you gotten a nudge of one sort or another, whether you call it a voice or not, check in on someone, and it turns out that they really needed checking in on to stop and talk to someone who it turns out needed someone to stop and talk with. To give money to someone or cause because it turned out they really needed that money to do something worthwhile. Have you had those nudges and responded to those nudges? I bet you many of you have. You see, we Christians hear a voice too. We call it the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives within us and the Holy Spirit who, according to the Bible, guides us and comforts us and counsels us and convicts us and directs us and encourages us. We better be hearing that voice. And yes, we need to recognize the difference between mental illness and genuine faith. Sometimes it's really important that we do. 
But we also need to acknowledge that many of our heroes also heard that same voice. Abraham and Noah, Moses and Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Paul and more. And those heroes of ours whose stories are written down, not in Sports Illustrated, but in Scripture, were dreamers too. They heard the voice and they dreamt. Noah heard a voice telling him to build not a ball field, but an ark. And so he did it. To the amazement and bemusement and consternation of his neighbors, I'm sure. And Moses heard a voice, not in a cornfield, but a burning bush out in the middle of the wilderness, and believed that what that voice told him was true, and he packed his bags and went to Egypt, demanding the freedom of the Hebrew slaves. Well, Ray Kinsella didn't go to Egypt, but he did something that was, took a lot of faith. He plowed under a big chunk of his cornfield, and his farm was barely making enough money to pay the mortgage already. He spent their entire family savings with his wife's permission, building a ballpark out in the middle of nowhere with no team to play on it. His ball field was complete with lights for evening play and bleachers for non-existent fans to watch non-existent games. It was utterly foolhardy, ridiculous, and irresponsible. An act of pure faith. Until one evening when Shoeless Joe Jackson showed up to play ball. Little Karen saw him first. It's a man out in the field, Daddy. She recognized him from her father's stories. And maybe for our story, maybe hoping for a Messiah for thousands of years was foolhardy and ridiculous and irresponsible too. Till one day Jesus showed up in our ball field. And old Simeon saw him first, recognized him first. He recognized him from the stories that he had treasured all of his life. I see him. My eyes have seen this salvation. And on that field of dreams in Ray Kinsella's Iowa cornfield, shoeless Jack, Joe Jackson got to play baseball again. At first, it was just Ray throwing him curveballs and shoeless Joe hitting them out to outfield or beyond. But then he invited the other seven who had been banned from baseball. The Black Sox, they had been called. And they could practice together. And then eventually they invited other players from other teams. All of whom, by the way, were in real life deceased. And there on summer evenings, dead baseball players were resurrected for nine innings to pitch and hit and catch and slide and spit and joke and laugh and otherwise entertain the cheering spectators. The whole crowd, which consisted of Ray, Andy, and Karen, no one else to see them, especially Mark, Andy's brother, who held the mortgage on the farm and was now threatening foreclosure. But what's a farm compared with resurrection? They're witnessing resurrection. And again, how about you? What's resurrection worth to you? Maybe some of our dreams do not come true because we're not willing to bet the farm. We think in the end that that would be nice, but it's not really worth that much effort, that much risk. 
We prefer, don't we, our safe lives to the adventures of faith. But when we do, when we play it safe, when we live in safety, when we stay inside our little box, we never get to see the magic in action. We never get to experience what's out there in the mystery, out in the cornstalks where strange magic is working. We never get to fully live our dreams when we play it safe. When the games were over, those players would. They would disappear back into the cornstalks and literally disappear. There's a great scene where one of them was doing that and does this, this fake Wizard of Oz voice. I'm melting! <laughs> it's hilarious. They, they somehow knew that if they crossed the line in the other direction, if they walked toward the farm, that uh, they would never be able to come back. It was a magical thing, even if the mortgage wasn't being paid. And maybe that would be the end of the, uh, end of the story, end of the movie. Hey, dead break baseball players are playing on a ballpark in Iowa. Yay! But this is a movie. And movies have magic, just like faith. And sometimes things are possible that should not be possible. And the voice isn't content to just leave us here when there is more adventure to be had there. And so one night, Ray is startled, deeply troubled even, when he hears the voice again. Ease his pain. Ease his pain? Whose pain? How? But the voice, sometimes exactly the way God does it, <laughs> offers no more guidance than that at the moment. Only the repeated is his pain. Well, through a long process that includes a 10-minute distraction in the movie, at least from my opinion, of a, uh, <laughs> a, a school board meeting with lots of shouting, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Ray concludes that the person whose pain needed to be eased was the author Terrence Mann. Terrence was another hero of, of both Ray and, and Annie's, but he was a guy that had given up writing years before. He was now living as a semi-recluse in Boston. And Ray decided that Terrence's pain needed to be eased, and he was the man to do it. And he hops in the old family van. He drives all the way to Boston to fix all of that. And there's this great comedic scene in which he kidnaps Terrence with a fake finger and his, and his, uh, a fake gun using his finger in his jacket. And Terrence is played with indignant fervor by James Earl Jones, and I think in his most hilarious role. And, and, and Ray takes Terrence to Fenway Park to watch the Red Sox play, which is miserable enough as it is. <laughs> Did I just insult any of <laughs> Did I just dismiss any of your heroes? <laughs> Neither of them have a good time. But then Ray hears the voice again. Go the distance. And both of them, and only them, see something on the scoreboard. The name, the hometown, and the baseball stats of Archibald Moonlight Graham. He, by the way, is, an, is a real historical person. Terrence, Terrence Mann isn't. Ray Kinsella isn't. But... Um, uh, Archibald Graham really played baseball. Decades before, he had played in one major league game for half an inning. That was his entire career. He never even got a chance to bat. Was it his pain that needed to be eased, since it wasn't Terrence's, apparently? 
perhaps Ray's field of dreams could grant him that dream deferred. And so Terrence and Ray, who's now an active participant in this mystery, together they go the distance. They drive all the way to Minnesota to find that Moonlight Graham was well known in his small town as Doc Graham. He's a beloved local doctor who, however, had passed away years before. None of this makes sense now. How could they ease his pain when he's as dead as Ray's father? But you know, this is a movie. And movies have magic, just like faith. And sometimes things are possible that should not be possible. Late that night while walking through town, the magic happens again. Ray finds himself in 1972, poor guy, and of course meets up with old Doc Graham, played wonderfully by Burt Lancaster in his last movie role. This is my favorite scene in the whole movie, but Burt Lancaster just nails this one. Ray says, for 50 years ago, for five minutes, you came within, you came this close. It would kill some men to get this close to their dream and not touch it. They consider it a tragedy. And old Doc Ram offers him a fresh perspective. He says, son, if I had only gotten to be a doctor for five minutes, now that would have been a tragedy. For Doc, a dream deferred does not compare to a life fully lived. And his has been. He found a better dream. He prefers what he has to what he does not have. He is content. And the world that understands little of that. Ray doesn't understand that. Ray is not content. He doesn't know that contentment is possible. And Doc is sitting there saying, I've given up my dream in order to choose this. Some dreams need to die, he seems to suggest, so that better dreams can be realized. And part of our faith is dreaming of what can be. Yes. But another part of it is deferring, even surrendering some of those dreams for something even better. And what God offers us when he asks surrender out of us is always something that is even better. Of course, this is a movie, and movies have magic, just like faith. And sometimes things are possible that should not be possible, like resurrection. The next morning, Ray and Terrence are driving out of town when they pick up a young hitchhiker, young man who introduces himself as Archie Graham. Says he's a baseball player, wonders if they know someplace he could play. And Ray and Terrence recognize the young man immediately, and they shake their hand, heads at the magic at work. So all three of them now go back to Iowa, where Shoeless Joe coaches the rookie for his first at-bat where young Archie hits a sacrifice fly and gets a compliment from the great one. And in that very moment, his dream gets deferred yet again. Because Karen, who is watching, falls on the bleachers and is choking to death on her hot dog. And a doctor is needed. Moonlight Graham steps across the ball field line, immediately becomes old Doc Graham again saves Karen's life, and then with a satisfied smile disappears into the cornstalks because he can't go back. 
Some things are worth sacrificing our dreams for, aren't they? To give a little girl a lifetime to explore her own dreams after he's had a lifetime of this of his? Isn't that worth it? To give someone else the opportunity to have the faith that we have enjoyed, would that be worth a sacrifice now and then? To love Jesus and be loved by him? Isn't that worth more than some of the other things that distract us from our faith so often? In that moment in which Doc Graham makes that sacrifice and steps across the line, Mark and his brother sees the ballplayers for the first time. And he gets it. Don't sell the farm, Ray! <laughs> Not even to me. For even he, the ruthless man of business, can recognize magic when he hits him in the face. And then he and Terrence and even little Karen have an epiphany. They see how the farm will be saved by the people who will come there, who will drive there to experience a little magic of their own. Ray has built it, and you know the line, they will come. They will definitely come, Ray. Not knowing why. Just knowing that they need a field where dreams deferred, denied, and even dead can come back to life. Would you come? Jesus invites us to. You see, the magic is there all along, here all along. And we're often just too much like Mark. We're unable to see it because we don't believe in it. Because we have other streams that distract us from the magic. And maybe the impossible is more possible than we dare to imagine. Because we don't dare to imagine. And maybe, just maybe, as Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, every bush, every bush is burning. Not just the odd one out in the middle of the wilderness where a guy like Moses can see it. And the movie seems to bear that out because suddenly everyone in this movie has started believing and then living as if the magic is really true. Almost, almost like what happens when people come to faith in Christ. And suddenly see the world differently than before and find themselves with different dreams than before. And maybe even finding some old dreams coming true. Because life isn't a movie. But life does have magic because of faith. And sometimes, yes, things are possible that should not be possible. Like resurrection. That night, Terrence is invited to go along with the players into the magic cornstalks at the end of the field, at the end of the game, to see what magic lies out there in the cornfield. He just wants to start writing again because truly his pain has been eased. And Ray is jealous. Ray is furious. Ray wants to go too. It's his field after all. That's his corn. <laughs> but there's a deeper, better magic waiting for him in the form of a new, very young ball player standing waiting for him at home base. Is this your ball field? He asked him, my name is John Kinsella. Can I play here? Yes. Yes, of course. And Ray introduces John to his daughter-in-law and to his granddaughter. And then plays catch with his father. 
all over again. And so a dream dead and buried came back to life that night and was fulfilled. Because sometimes things are possible that should not be possible. And sometimes the pain to be eased is our own. And sometimes the distance we must go is not very far at all. Sometimes, if we build it, more will come to us than we ever dared to dream. As Ray and John toss the ball back and forth, the camera pans back to reveal a long line of cars snaking their way toward the Kinsella farm. And that's how the movie ends. Because this is a movie, and movies have endings, even when they're about magic and dreams and resurrection and other seemingly impossible things. The movie brought back to life a bunch of dead ball players who had denied their dreams to play the game. And this is where we got to break the, the spell a little bit and go, seriously? Seriously? You came back to life just to play baseball? <laughs> baseball is a wonderful game, mind you, but if I, came, if I was dead and came back to life, I might have other things on my list. God does a whole lot better than that when he does resurrection. For God, resurrection is not a magic trick. It's not a once upon a time fairy tale. It's not a ballpark in a cornfield somewhere in Iowa. It's not anywhere you have to go to and you don't have to be somebody important like somebody's hero in order to come back to life. For God, resurrection is miraculous but remarkably commonplace. It happens all the time, everywhere, offered to each and every one of us, wherever we are, whoever we are, whenever we summon up enough imagination and courage to say, yes, yes, I dare to believe, I dare to dream. I dare to listen to that voice again. And like Shoeless Joe Jackson went ahead of the other players, Jesus went ahead of us into resurrection. Scripture says he was the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. The first one to climb out of the grave and stay out of it, but not the last. The Easter story is not about the first one. It's about everybody who gets the opportunity to come alive again. He invited us to follow all of us and all means all. And Jesus, like Shoeless Joe, by the way, also had a whiff of scandal about him. I got to tell you today, friends, my hero is also a criminal. The Romans considered him one. They killed him for being one. They expelled him from their game. But he came back. And in doing so, he showed the rest of us how to be resurrected as well. He showed us that there is life, abundant life, flourishing life on the other side of our brokenness and our mistakes and our regrets and our failures and our sins. He showed us that there's forgiveness and healing and grace and joy in the life he's made for us. The life that he's invited us into. He showed us that there's a life in which we may never die, but merely pass from earth to eternity where we continue forever in the goodness that God has given us a taste of here and now. How do we get there? Shoeless Joe asked Ray early in the movie, is this heaven? And Ray laughed and said, this is Iowa. <laughs> and everyone who's been to Iowa knows the difference. <laughs> 
When his father asks that same question at the end of the movie, Ray has a different answer. Yes. Yes, this is heaven. Why the change? Because his father defined heaven as the place where dreams come true. And for people of faith, then, heaven is where God is, where dreams come true. Doc Graham had asked Ray earlier, is there enough magic? Oh, Burt Lancaster, is there enough magic out there in the moonlight in his sonorous voice to make my dream come true? And Ray had replied, yes, yes, there is. And he was right. Not just for Doc Graham, but for you and me, for all of us who don't live in a movie, but live in real life, because even real life has magic when God is involved. And you know the line by now, and sometimes things are indeed possible that should not be possible for you and me. And friends, this life, this earth, is your own field of dreams. I love the fact that we're standing in the, we're in a building here that is right next to a, a cornfield some parts of the year. This is where, the, this, this is where the magic happens. And not referring to this building, I'm not referring to that field, I'm referring to this earth, this life, where we live is where the magic happens. And that's because everything necessary has already been done for you and I to live in the magic. You don't need to build it. It's been built. You don't need hocus pocus for it to come true. You don't even need to tell someone where to find it. It has found you. Listen to the voice. He has built it. He has come. He has gone the distance. And he will indeed ease your pain. If you let him. And as he does, he will give you the opportunity to do the same for others. Ray's field wasn't just for him. It was magic to be shared with the world. Just as your life and your dreams and your magic are gifts for others as well. And I know, I know you're some of your stories. You are sharing your life generously. Some of you are sharing it generously within this community. God does indeed bless you for it. That's the very heart of God for all of us. And for some of us who have deferred or denied our dreams for so very long or pursued dreams that were not worthy of us, I have good news this morning. Today is a day to dream again, to remember or to reimagine what might yet be for you, for those you love, for this world that we live in that needs a few more dreamers. Because your life has magic when God is involved. And God is involved. And sometimes things are indeed possible that should not be. Let's watch a video.
true, we can dream again. We must dream again, particularly, as I said earlier, when our dreams have been deferred or denied. Maybe God has something for us and something to do through us that's even better than what we had dreamt. Maybe even resurrection. Please keep that in mind as I share another announcement with you before we close. Joanne would be standing here with me for this one if she were able to be here today, but she is with us in spirit. Three weeks ago, we announced that Sean Erb was taking a leave of absence from his responsibilities as worship pastor. And at that point, we truly hoped and intended that he would return fairly soon. Sadly, over the past few weeks, it's become more and more evident that that would not be possible. And I am heartbroken this morning to tell you that Sean will not be returning in that role. His employment with Hosanna ended this week. And this is hard to hear, I know. We love Sean. He's led us in worship for nearly 22 years, and Sunday after Sunday, he's created space and encouragement to hear and respond to the love of God. So, so often, in sync with what the Holy Spirit, Joanne and I, Holy Spirit had led Joanne and I to prepare in our teaching. He's led some of these awesome worship teams, professional quality musicians who also know and love God even more than they know and love music. We've been so blessed. We are so grateful. And of course, at this point, you're probably wondering why. Why is this happening? There is a reason. I assure you that this decision was, despite all of our preferences, necessary and right. And all of us, Sean included, agree with that. But we're not going to share the reasons behind the decision publicly. And I recognize that that might make the announcement even a bit more challenging to process because not knowing the details is hard. But if you've been around here any length of time, you already know that one of our most deeply held values here at Hosanna is honoring everyone. And part of that is honoring is not is pres- presuming to tell each other's stories. Especially when those stories are painful and they're still unfolding. And this one is. We're saying what needs to be said at this point and inviting you to be part of the story by continuing to love and pray that God's grace will continue to work out to all the pieces of it for good. God does that stuff. And perhaps a time will come when Sean and Jill will will tell their portion of the story. But until then, we ask that you respect their privacy. If you're at all like me, you'll find your imagination. I just preached on imagination. This is one place, don't, don't use it too much. Don't find, your imagination will try to fill in the gaps. You'll try to understand, and perhaps without realizing it, you'll make up a story. It's very human. As I say, I do it. But let's agree together to resist that temptation this time. Resist the temptation to turn this into painful gossip. We are Christians, after all. There are many things we know that we do not know. Many things we simply can't know. And we choose to trust God and continue to love anyway. This is one of those things. So yes, let's miss Sean being up here. I already do. This is fourth Sunday in a row that I've missed my friend. Let's thank God for him. 
Let's continue to love him and Joe and their boys. They are members of our, of our Hosanna family. Feel free to support them, care for them, contact them. Like I said, they're part of us, but please avoid asking questions that are intrusive. Pray God's deep and grace and peace for them and for us. We've got some decisions to make. The worship of God, of course, is going to continue here. We're grateful for the, the shared leadership the worship team has been providing, and they've stepped up abruptly. They didn't know this was coming or the leave. And uh, they've committed to step up and step into a new season of worship ministry with us. And we are so blessed and so grateful for them. And just one last encouragement. As you pray and process this news in the coming days and weeks, please remember that none of us is alone. We're all in this together. And that's not just rhetoric here. This congregation has experienced, like any group of people, which share of ups and downs through the years. But... We've always experienced what we sang about earlier. I was so glad. Once again, we're in sync. Worship team picked a song. God makes beautiful things out of the dust. He does make dreams come alive again. He's got us. What happened here was not what we expected or wanted, but it wasn't a surprise to God, which means we already have everything we need to walk forward. So if this troubles you, my encouragement is go in peace with his heart, with his dreams in your heart. And we'll come back next week and we'll worship and we'll trust and we'll hope. Because we know that with God, all will be well. And all will be well. And all manner of things will be well. Always. Bless you.